what are we doing tonight on the Voices of Safety? What do you have in store for us? Share. Talking about, um, you know, thinking out of the box, that's like, <laughs> it's been said forever, but um, no more one size fits all uh, safety programs, uh, just innovations in um, ideas about how to do things and also innovations in um, products and tools. And you have some guests for us tonight, don't you? You've lined up. We have Mandy Keim, who is the Director of Safety for AGC of Washington. And um, we have Deborah Hilmerson, who is um, owner of Hilmerson Safety. And I think that you guys will really enjoy listening to both of them. They're super, um, super intelligent and super, uh, super fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to do breakout rooms at the end. So you can either, if you have questions for Deborah, if you have questions for Andy, you can go into the, either of those rooms and ask them. And we're going to have just networking and socialing in the bigger room while that's going on later. So. Good. So I'll let you kick it off. Well, Mandy is going to go first. Um, um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about yourself, Mandy, because, you know, maybe some people don't know you. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Laurel. Uh, yes, my name is Mandy Time. I am the Director of Safety Services for AGC of Washington. I've been in this capacity for, uh, this is my 15th year being the director uh, in this position. I've got a combined 20 years in construction safety. Um, so yes, my red hair is mainly just to cover up all the grays that I've acquired in those 20 years. Um, so I learned two interesting facts today uh, while talking to Deb. First of all, uh, I, I am a mom of triplets, which is fun and crazy and sometimes stupid. And there's a lot of different words that you could use for it. But uh, Deb is also a mom of multiples. She's a mom of twins. So like, you know, us ladies with our juggling things and, you know, what have you. So I thought that was a fun fact. And then also like, um, I'm going to talk a lot about like human engagement. Um, but I think that I'm, I'm really excited to stay on and listen to Deb talk about um, innovation because, you know, I, people are my jam. I love connecting with people, but I love also that Deb has this inventors innovation focused mind. And so I think hopefully you'll see that we have wildly different approaches to a very simple phrase of no more one size fits all. So um, with that, I'll just say, um, like, I, like I said earlier, I've worked here for 15 years. I just finished my master's degree in occupational safety and health from Central Washington University. And part of that process was to um, do a research project. And so I chose a subject that's very near and dear to my heart, which is suicide prevention and construction and focusing on a mental health best practices guide for employers. So before you leave today, you'll actually end up with a copy of that best practices guide. And I think that that holds a little bit of the key to some of what I'm gonna to share today about um, just how you engage with human beings and how 
um, today's world really calls on us as from, from the perspective of safety professionals, how it calls on us to connect um, on a human level. So with that, um, I'll just jump right into my content so that we have plenty of time for Deb as well. Um, I, I learned today that, that we don't normally do a lot of PowerPoints on here, and I know that Deb has some great innovations to actually show you. So rather than me share my screen and then turn it over and have Deb share her screen as well, I'm gonna put some stuff in the chat in links um, as, after I'm done chatting. Uh, so you all have a bunch of resources when we're done, um, but that way we can, you know, give you give you the opportunity to to look at some fun stuff that Deb is going to share with you as well. So um, I'm going to start by just saying that when we say no more one size fits all, my viewpoint and my perspective on that is that we have to look at every person that works for and with us as an individual and tailor our approach to them as though they are truly individuals and every person has a different set of life experiences and workplace experiences that lead them into the moment that they're interacting with you in the workplace. And so uh, it is important to, to recognize that, to honor that the, the folks that you are working with um, and, and whether you're, you know, haggling with them about wearing a hard hat or you're, um, you know, questioning their, their um, efforts for fall protection on the job, that there's a lot of different experiences and perceptions that led up to that decision, that led up to that struggle that you might be having. And I know that, um, you know, that can be hard to do in the moment, right? If somebody is, is failing expectations, it can be hard to do in the moment and be like, oh, you know, <laughs> you've got all this past experience doing it this way with this employer or whatever. But um, so it's really about individualized attention. And so with that, I really wanted to share something that I learned from someone pretty impactful in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is another area that I'm in charge of for AGC. Um, so I helped co-author our culture of care program, which is about DEI and psychological safety. And one of our industry partners shared something in a meeting one day, and it really struck me because I'd never thought about it this way, even though I've been talking about inclusion culture for a long time. Um, she said, we need to approach people with the platinum rule. How many of you guys know what the platinum rule is? I've heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the platinum rule is essentially like we always say the golden rule is to treat people how you would want to be treated, right? But the reality is people don't necessarily want to be treated how you want to be treated. They want to be treated how they want to be treated. And so we have to look at it as though it's the platinum rule of, you know what, if you're going to spend the time to treat someone well, you might as well understand the roadmap to what treating them well looks like to them. So understand that human being enough to, to apply that principle of like, oh, is this something that that, that person would even enjoy? Um, so, um, oh, thank you for the comment in the chat. So the platinum rule really resonated with me and, and was one of those things that um, I, I thought, man, that is such a simple way to put what a complex concept that is, uh, to just really boil it down to something very simple and something actionable by others, right? So that, that's very easy. You can train your teams on the platinum rule and get that engagement. So, um, so I thought that was really cool, but I think that also one of the things about the platinum rule that I appreciate and respect 
is that it is, it's foundational to psychological safety. And psychological safety, um, if you haven't ever seen it, this is a great book. Can you line up with my camera? Uh, the Four Stages of Psychological Safety, and it was written by Timothy Clark. Um, and as you can see, my copy has lots of little tabs on it. <laughs> I actually carry this in my briefcase for a long time, especially while going to grad school and studying mental health and workplace safety, um, because there's a lot of nuggets in here that I feel are really useful. So um, because I'm going to spend time talking about psychological safety, I'm going to read to you the definition that Timothy Clark gives to psychological safety so that this gives context to the rest of what I'm going to share. Um, so to the author, he states, psychological safety is a condition in which you feel, one, included, two, safe to learn, three, safe to contribute, and four, safe to challenge the status quo, <laughs> all, without, all without feeling fear of being embarrassed, marginalized, or punished in some way. So I think we can all agree that sounds wonderful, um, but that's not, um, that's a, that's a lot. That's not, that's not present in a lot of places. That's not present in a lot of places I've ever worked um, or places that I've ever engaged. And so um, I wanted to share that with you and share with you this book, because um, to me, this has been um, a really powerful tool in, in my journey of learning about um, engaging um, with people as human beings. So, so there's that. Um, and I think that really when you start looking at whether it's your safety program or your training or your enforcement slash accountability, um, even your training and your orientation, when you start looking at it, uh, that process and trying to apply psychological safety to that process, what you've done is you've made it safe for someone to bring their whole authentic selves to work. And when you do that, you also give them the opportunity to be creative and be innovative um, and create you know, new plans and programs or you know, like in Deb's experience, innovate and actually invent something. They do something creative and, and use that creative prowess. You're not gonna be able to tap into that part of your mind. Um, if you feel unsafe by your surroundings or unsafe um, to, to utilize that creativity. So um, we, we often in our culture of care program at AGC refer to it as diversity of thought. If we continue to look into what we are doing as, well, this is the way we've always done it, then that's absolutely the way it will always be done. And it will, the process will never get better. <laughs> We're never gonna grow from it. And then we can't really honestly expect to have outcomes other than what we've always had because we're doing it the way we've always done it. Um, and that the way we've always done it mentality also keeps you limited in your problem solving. So, um, so psychological safety really pays dividends into that. Um, again, I mentioned our culture of care program, culture of care. Um, oh, I see a hand up. I was hoping that maybe you could expand on how somebody could maybe um, create that kind of culture of making people feel comfortable to to take a risk in share because that that's something that people talk about doing but they they don't always engage in doing so actually you you uh, helped me with my segue beautifully because I was just <laughs> Their program. It's like I planted it. Um, 
So our AGC of Washington's Culture of Care program actually was written by myself and one of our coworkers. And it was launched here locally in the state of Washington for our members. It was so well received from AGC of America that they decided to launch it nationally to all the chapters of AGC. And the foundation of that is, is really about creating a culture where people want to show up to work. People want to be a part of that team. People want to feel um, like they belong to that team. And so um, it was originally written really as a response to some, some bad discriminatory things that had happened in construction. And we realized that we have spent a great deal of time telling people in all industries, but construction specifically, we spent a great deal of time telling them to what not to do or what things are bad, but we haven't actually modeled good positive behaviors that are inclusive, that make people feel good. Um, and so we built a program around that. And so CARE actually becomes an acronym and it stands for commit, attract, retain, and empower. So the first thing you wanna do is commit to having a culture of care. And that means bold leadership. That means putting out there what your intentions are. Uh, the second one is attract. That means bringing people to your team that have a diversity of opinion or a diversity of experience or even a different look than you or a different age than you or different you know, uh, cultural backgrounds than you, um, even different gender identities or, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can approach that. But once the step one is you've got to commit to that. Step two is you've got to attract those people in. Once they're there, you retain them by doing active things to honor their voice and make space for their voice. So that looks like in a toolbox talk um, or a company meeting, when you're running a meeting and you realize all of a sudden, you know what? You know, Stephanie over here in the corner actually hasn't weighed in even once in these conversations. How about I ask her what her opinion is? Or say, hey, Stephanie, do you have any ideas to share with us? I, you know. I'd love to hear your perspective. And so you've now identified someone that isn't as engaged, but you've done so in a respectful way. You've done so in a way that makes space for them. And you've done so in a way that says, I see you and I recognize that you might have something that adds value. Um, and so that's part of it. I mean, that's just one example of ways that you can um, build psychological <laughs> safety into group settings. Um, and then the last letter of care is empower. And empower is important because oftentimes, especially when we're talking about DEI, we will say that we empower our workers. But the unfortunate thing is most of the time we put all of the, all of the onus of that empowerment onto the disadvantaged worker, the worker that has less of a voice, the worker that feels marginalized, the worker that feels um, you know, some way left out. And we're not talking about empowering the workers that don't have those feelings, empowering the workers that have, um, or the you know, managers or whoever it is on your team, empowering those individuals that have a voice to say right things, to do right things, and to make space for the people that do feel marginalized. Um, so, so it's a little bit of a mind shift there, right? You're, you're, Empower is, is, is more than just saying, oh, we're gonna em empower the marginalized people or we're gonna empower women to be more vocal in the workplace or we're gonna empower minorities to do that. How about empower everyone 
to to take an ownership role um, and and also empower with accountability people to speak up when something's going sideways, speak up when they see something where someone's being marginalized. So so there's there's layers to it. So like I said, the culture of care program is is full of resources. I could spend hours just on that. So rather than me going into all those details, because I do have a few other points, um, I will put the link to the culture of care program in the chat. Um, I would encourage you all to to access that. Um, I will also put a link in there to my best practices guide for our mental health. I'm also going to put a link in for a healthy coping and resilience toolbox talk that you can use for your whole teams to help support them and their mental health as we transition out of this pandemic. One of the things that um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't share, um, our, our suicide rates are unacceptably high in construction. Um, mental health was a factor in six of the 16 on-the-job fatalities in construction in Washington State in 2020. So in 2020, here in my state alone, we lost 16 construction workers on the job. And six of those losses were related to mental health. We had three drug overdoses on the job. We had three construction worker suicides on the job. So um, as a safety professional, if you take nothing else from what I, I have said today, is we have to start having conversations about mental health. We have to. Um, we, we are doing better globally at taking care of workers on the job and making sure that they get to go home safe from work. But I tell you what, everyone is suffering. And so right now, right now is actually a really good time to have those conversations with your people about mental health because we have now as a society acknowledged the fact that everyone's not okay. We've been through a really rough two years. We've acknowledged those facts. So now is a prime time for you to have those conversations. Statistically speaking, the experts in mental health have called out that we have not seen in the in adults, I will save remarks for our youth for, for a couple minutes, but in, in adults, we have not seen a spike in suicides as much as they may be anticipated during the pandemic. But that is because what happens to all of us when we're in crisis, when we're under pressure? Kind of buckle down, right? And we try to make, make a go at it. Um, and, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so the experts are saying that their, their concern right now is that as we really transition back to normal, some of that urgency of the stress will go away. And when that urgency goes away, the pressure feels heavier. And, and folks are going to, to struggle more. And so this right now is a prime opportunity for us in safety to have these conversations and share resources. So there's a ton of stuff in my best practices guide um, for you all to access. Please take that, share it with anyone you want. There is no, there's no trademark on it. It is not proprietary to AGC. I wrote that as my master's degree thesis. And, and I want to see it take flight. So whatever part resonates with you and connects with the work that you are doing, please take that um, and apply it. If you have any questions, my information is, is in there and I'll put my contact information in the chat. Um, and then I'll just very briefly touch on, if we're talking about mental health for our workforce, we gotta be talking about the mental health of our youth um, and, and what our youth have been through the last couple of years. Um, so 
contrary to what I said about adult suicide rates, our youth suicide rates are going up. And, um, and you know, we've asked a lot of the youth of our society over the last two years. So um, I implore you to, there's gonna be, I'll, I'll put it all in the chat, um, <clears throat> there's gonna be the suicide prevention hotline and the suicide prevention text line. Um, make sure that every young person in your life has this in their phone, especially the text line, because they, they need it. They need our support and they need to know that it's okay, that it's confidential, that it's free, and that they can access these resources anytime from any phone. And, and that it's okay to text somebody and just say, I'm not okay. And that there's people that care and there's people that are ready to, to act and to help. So um, I would just implore you to make sure that those phone numbers exist in, in your young people's phones um, and that you're willing to be vulnerable enough with them and your teams to say, you know what, I've, I've struggled. I've had my moments of struggle and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. And here's the resources I know are available to you and I'm here and, and you know, be willing to, to engage on that level. So. so Mandy, I wanted to ask you, I love what you're saying about um, honoring their voice and seeking their voice, as well as, you know, giving people the support, especially now, because people are, are in different situations, they're feeling the stress in different ways. So it, it may, how I may feel stress may not be the same way as how Laurel feels stress. So one thing that as health and safety professionals, I think is very key and very important. Yes, getting people's voice out there, but also listening and being able to read nonverbal cues that somebody else wants to contribute or that they're not okay. Um, and that touches my heart very, very deeply because we had a suicide worker in where I worked and um, all management, nobody could identify that he, he was in distress, you know? Even though uh, two of us kept on coming and saying, no, I don't think things are okay here. How can we get supports? So there was that disconnect there between, you know, somebody with my background who has social work trying to communicate to others who actually could help in the organization get the resources. So what resources do you have there for people and what advice do you have if you could give two or three things? I know Laurel that we're almost at our time and Deb's next, but if we could get answer that, that'd be great. So all of that is in my best practices guide that's going to be in the chat as well. Um, there are a few things that I think are critically important. First and foremost, there shouldn't be a gatekeeper of information for mental health help. There shouldn't be a gatekeeper. Um, and so to that end, I would say making sure as a safety professional that you know what your employee assistance program offers and then go so far as to pick up the phone and call that EAP and test it out. Find out what your worker is going to experience so that then you can create posters and you can send emails and you can put payroll stuffers out there that say, hey, we have this EAP and through the EAP, they can help you with X, Y, and Z. And if you call, you're going to be connected to this kind of person and they're going to give you these resources. So you know what they're going to experience because a person in crisis, when they run against a barrier or a gatekeeper, that stops the process. So there's one. Second one I would say is same with your EAP, know your insurance benefits for your workforce. Know ahead of time, hey, our insurance offers mental health help 
Um, like for, for me, for AGC, we actually have telehealth on our phones and we can actually access a mental health uh, professional from our phones that's covered by our insurance. So know that and, and express to your workers, hey, our insurance covers you know, 24 visits a year at X number of dollars or X number of hours of service. And here's, here's a link to where you can find providers in our network so that they don't have to figure out, okay, what website do I go to and who's in network? Like literally, here's a list of in-network providers and you can go 24 times a year and here's the you know, out-of-pocket minimums or whatever your insurance provides. Because like I said, every time you remove a barrier and remove a gatekeeper, you're getting them one step closer to help. Um, the third thing I would say is encourage everyone that you know, not just the people that you work with, encourage everyone you know to take a mental health assessment. That is also in the best practices guide. And I will just say that you can't fix something if you don't know what it is. You, you, can't, you can't make improvement in your mental health if you don't know the status of your mental health. Um, I can tell you as someone, um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a mom of triplets. I have had PTSD from some very, very scary medical stuff that happened to me after I had them. Uh, I have some, you know, problems or had some problems with postpartum depression, and I have struggled with anxiety since I was a teenager. All of those things, um, first of all, that's me being super vulnerable, and I'm willing to share that information about myself in front of lots of other people. Why? Because it destigmatizes it, and it reduces the um, idea that, you know, somebody has to struggle alone. Second reason why I share this is I consider myself a pretty strong pretty open person and I consider myself to be kind of a little bit of a badass, right? Like I show up every day to work and I have a pretty demanding job and I juggle four kids at home and I somehow find time to do Girl Scouts and all these other things. But I am also the same person that has gone through a grocery store and got to the checkout line with a cart full of groceries and my four kids in tow and realized it was too much for me and walked away from a cart full of groceries, not once, not twice, multiple times. I've done this where I've had to just ditch my cart and go sit in my car and cry. And I don't have a good explanation as to why that happens or why grocery stores are my trigger. I mean, I got a lot of speculation, but, um, <laughs> but, but I share that to say, like, if you can't, if you can't share your humanity with others, you're, you can't really expect other people to share their humanity with you. If you can't be vulnerable and say, Hey, I'm a human and I make mistakes and I'm a human and I struggle and, and I'm, I'm far from perfect, then how on earth do you think that they're gonna ever come to you when they have a problem? So I think that sometimes the, the key to opening those conversations and creating that psychological safety is being willing to be very uncomfortable yourself um, and be vulnerable yourself. Um, and, and that is where people can connect and connection is the key to getting us out of a lot of the mental health and suicide prevention or suicide statistics that we have seen. Um, we, are, we are losing a lot of people right now to, to mental health and substance abuse. And it's a byproduct of isolation that we felt for the last two years and so many other things about, you know, social uncertainty and political uncertainty and all those things. But if we can just check those things at the door and say, hi, I'm a people and you're a people too. We can be people together. <laughs> so I would say that that's my very um, unpolished response to your question. 
I know that I am probably past my, I'm definitely past my time. Sorry, Deb. Um, no, no, any, no. Any other no questions? So Mandy, I have a question for you. Um, so I, I'm 32 years in the business. And, you know, if you think about 32 years ago, um, no one talked about any of our feelings, correct? We, yeah. we you know, once you, I mean, first of all, I was like one of the only females in the business back then. But secondly, we weren't going to sit around the uh, in the in the trailer at lunchtime and talk about who's sad and who's, you know, who's got family issues and all that other stuff. You just always kept that all quiet, right? No one ever talked about that. So flip forward to you know, thirty-two years or thirty years newer, right? And now, um, how would other than you know, taking connecting with all your resources, reading, getting that ed educated. How would you recommend someone that's sitting or listening here that, you know, their company does not have a culture of care quite yet, um, talking about personal issues, you know, some HR person would say, hey, you know what, you're crossing the you're crossing the barriers. How would someone take what you have to offer and then implement or start the culture of care, start to talk about the drastic situation that we're in with suicide? you know, our suicide rates right now in the construction industry, how would they start? So I would say, I love your point about how we didn't used to, and quite frankly, haven't um, had a history of talking about feelings. Construction historically has two acceptable feelings. I say this all the time. You've got uh, everything's fine, not necessarily I'm happy, but like everything's fine and you have pissed off. <laughs> Those are your only two emotions. Um, and, and so pissed off is actually a mask, right? Anger is a mask for a lot of other feelings. Anger, because it's socially acceptable in construction. Hi, Olivia. Um, <laughs> so anger is a mask for insecurity. Anger is a mask for fear. Anger is a mask for jealousy. Anger is also a mask for frustrations and those kinds of things. And so, um, so from a feelings perspective, I think it's important to acknowledge that. And I think that it's important to call that out when you have the opportunity to say, look, I know that it doesn't feel acceptable to say that you're sad or to say that, you know, it's been gray outside for 47 days in a row here in the Puget Sound. And that gets a little sad. It's not fun. And I really hate myself for moving here, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, to, to be able to call that out and, and very directly talk about it. Um, and, and for trying to sell it up the food chain, um, or at least to your management team, I think that there's, there's a few things at play here. One, you, you need to address the statistics head on. That's why I lead with statistics on suicide and, and mental health and, and substance abuse. I think you need to sell, and I, and I hate that we have to do this, right? That we live in a world where we have to convince somebody of a moral imperative. However, we do have to sell it. We do have to go to someone in HR or in leadership and explain, you know, I know that this is uncomfortable and I know that you don't want to address this subject matter, but I'm going to tell you, and actually on the Agency of Washington Suicide Prevention website, there is actually a link to this document. So I'll put that in the chat too. I know that you don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to tell you right now, the conversation that we need to have with our teams and the things that we need to do right now to build this culture is a lot less uncomfortable than the phone call that you as the HR manager or safety director have to call, have to make when we have a suicide on the job. 
And, and I can tell you right now that the statistics are telling us that suicide on the job is happening more often. Drug overdose on the job is happening more often. In my 20 years of tracking this data, we've never had a year where we had three on-the-job suicides and three on-the-job drug overdoses in one industry in one state. So it is real. The statistics are real. And if they don't want to acknowledge that, remind them of the indelible mark that that leaves on everyone else on the crew when something like that takes place. That is a part of that person's lifelong career story. Their personal story is, I was on a job where someone died by suicide. I was on a job where somebody died by drug overdose. And then they have to carry that with them. That has psychological implications for every one of them. Not only that, there's guilt and shame and fear that comes from knowing that you were working alongside someone and then you lost them and, and it's preventable and we did nothing and we didn't know it was a problem because we didn't talk about our feelings. So I always try to lead with, sure, that's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but it's a lot less uncomfortable than, than the alternative. It's a lot less uncomfortable than making, you know, making a call to, to a family member and having to explain what happened and having to, to be love and light to your team as they grieve through that process while also maintaining whatever semblance of liability and safety controls in place for your company. Like that's a really hard place to be. And I've managed a number of fatalities in my career. And I will tell you um, those days, those moments don't ever leave you. They don't ever leave you. Um, so I'd much rather have these uncomfortable conversations and talk about leaving my grocery cart somewhere than, than have to call a family member or hug a crying iron worker as he's standing next to his dead counterpart. Totally. Um, I'd like to just make one comment too, before we, we move on. Um, first, first and foremost, I really love what you guys are, what you're doing, Mandy. I know, um, I think, you know, Cal Byer well, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm friends of Cal's. Yes. As well, I remember sending him a message 20 years ago when he started because I I know why he started. Um, we had a mutual yeah. friend, and I said this is such an uphill battle, but I'm here for you. And now the progress that you all have made because you're getting it out in front of the bus, you're making the bus stop and don't run over it because we have to learn, we have to face the facts, we have to we have to deal with it not only on our job site but you know, unfortunately, I had a friend of mine on, um, do suicide uh, just after the first of the year. Had no no one had any idea. Friend of our family, hockey. I coached his um, son. My son played hockey, and I coached his son. And uh, um, you know, lives a mile away. And every person I talked to, no one had any idea, zero. So, not only in the workplace, at home with our young kids that are thinking that's the way out. Um, you know, I just applaud all of you guys for what you're doing for our industry to, to really heighten awareness and the need for doing something. We have to do something. Yeah, Cal, Cal really lit a fire in me five years ago, which is why that was my chosen uh, path of study for my master's degree and why I talk about it so passionately. and. One thing that Cal said to me many years ago that has always stuck with me is it's about upstream intervention. We got to catch people before they're at the precipice of the cliff about to go off the waterfall. We got to catch them upstream 
because it's a lot easier to walk somebody back and get them help up here than it is when they're already in crisis and they're about to go over the falls and trying to reel them back. So if we can get upstream and we can do all these things, it's remarkable how many lives you can save that you don't, you can't even quantify that, right? You can't quantify how many lives you save because you've caught them so far upstream that it never hit crisis mode and they never needed, you know, uh, you know, crisis text line or anything like that. So yeah, Cal is a brilliant mind and a yeah. very big passionate heart. Absolutely. Hey, I don't want to take up everybody else's time. So. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of a weird thing, right? I'm supposed to go into this fun innovation type of thing. And then I'm like, oh, it's heavy heart, you know, oh yeah, but it's more, sorry. but it's, but it's so important for us. I mean, what's, that's much more important than more what I have to say. Um, well, no, they're just different, not more important. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a little is. psychological safety right there. Um, well, I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in the chat, but I'm going to turn it over to Deb and I will lead with putting my contact information in the chat. So I know this is a heavy subject. I know that it takes some time to process a lot of what was said. I condensed probably an hour worth of content with my fast talking into a short period of time. So as you digest this, as you think about it, if you have thoughts, ideas, questions, concerns, feel free to reach out. And with that, I'm gonna zip it and let it be Deb's turn. <laughs> thank you. Great, great job. Um, first and foremost, I wanna say thanks. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Uh, just a little background on um, myself, Deb Helmerson. I'm the president and CEO of Helmerson Safety. We are a 21 year old company, safety consulting, training, audit inspections. Um, I've been in this space for about 32 years, actually graduated um, from the University of Minnesota with a teaching degree and immediately went into construction uh, to set precast concrete because I knew I couldn't make enough money to support my bad habits and um, did, did some, you know, it was a laborer in the trade, so I was a union worker and then I was uh, recruited away for a large general contractor to get into the safety space. Um, and that's where I've lived, you know, my boots, I hang them up every night and, uh, I'm in the construction space. So in the last five years, just, just kind of giving you a little history here, the last five years, um, as a result of a lot of OSHA compliance auditing and training throughout the country. So I've been to America, I've been to Canada, Australia, built, built a lifetime fitness in Toronto, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 so I've been to Australia, I've been to Malaysia, I've been to Asia, all over the place. So. You know, you think about safety, construction safety, it, you know, the United States, yes, we're more progressive um, and other com compared to someone, you know, a country like China, but the issues are all the same. And about five years ago, I was just like, I am so sick of seeing the same things over and over and out of frustration <laughs> came, <laughs> came the innovation of products, to be quite frank. I was so, um, you know, I was so angry that, you know, okay, I go out on that job site and I say, hey, you know, why is this uh, electrical cover, the formal electrical cover off when the, the outlet is energized? And they said, Deb, we have to, put, you know, we have to paint, we've got a wallpaper. And I'm like, I didn't make the rules. All I know is that's energized and you can't have that. So because then I went out to the marketplace to not only be part of the, you know, the, the problem is there, but part of the solution, I want to go try to find the solution. There's no solution. So, you know, we're sitting here and we're like, you know, no offense to OSHA, make all the rules, 
But if you don't provide a solution or some sort of options, how does one comply, right? We can have books and books and books of safety rules and regulations and ANSI standards and all that other stuff. But truthfully, if there's not a reasonable way to um, provide a solution or a recommendation or something, people are just not going to do it. They're just going to fight away. They're going to fight around it. They're going to find a way to just somehow, hopefully no one sees it and we continue doing what we're doing. I don't want to make this into a sales pitch. <clears throat> okay. Um, I know Laurel. Um, I met Laurel and Russ at the Nashville uh, Major League Soccer Stadium. Um, she gave a great presentation and I love, I love your story and I love that you're continuing to share because the heart is what hits people, not gonna lie. And, and you guys do a great job with that. Um, but, um, you know, um, Laurel asked me and she said, hey, you've got some really cool products and I'd love, love to invite you to this. So I'm, I'm gonna, desk, um, how am I gonna say this? Desk, uh, how, I'm just gonna like kind of dance here and say a little bit that I'm not trying to sell my products. I'm <laughs> trying to educate, okay? Because the products all sell themselves. So I mentioned earlier, um, you'll see on the screen, it says current cover. Um, the current cover is a product that, that you know, I'm not, a, I'm now an in, innovator. I'm now an entrepreneur. I was never that 20, 20 years ago. Uh, I just happened to become that in the last five years um, because there's no, there were a lot of problems with no solutions. So this particular is my first patented product that I rolled out was a current cover. And as I mentioned earlier, you can see in the photo, you'll see, you know what, workers have to use the outlets, used to have, they have to use the switches, they have to have access so that they have power, but yet in doing that, they also have to do the finished work. And when they have to do the finished work, they take the final covers off. So I came up in saying that here's the problem. And you can see that on the screen we have, and OSHA is just one of the things. We don't want people to get, you know, electrocuted, we don't want people to get injured, have injuries. OSHA is just kind of the last part of the way I deal with this. But I'm like, okay, we have to provide a solution. And the solution we came up with, because there was nothing on the marketplace, is a simple, simple, <laughs> inexpensive, temporary safety cover. It has a peel and stick background, right? So you take the formal cover off, or you don't even have it on. And you put this little temporary cover. It all it protects all of the electrical insides of the switches, outlets, and uh, GFI receptacles, and it allows you to continue to do your work. And when you're done, meaning work is painting, dry, um, drywall repair, to um, to you know finish work, you just pull that off and put the final cover on. So there's a couple of good things about it is a lot of these electrical contractors when I call them they're like oh we just always buy two extra covers and I'm like well that doesn't make sense because <laughs> you still have to pull the cover off and secondly then you're just wasting money and so why don't you just use something like this and so as a result of frustration we came up with this so this is one of the products that we have available again not trying to sell it's a solution to a common problem anytime i i post something like this on linkedin or share it, someone will notoriously say i just got done arguing with the painter for 20 <laughs> minutes about who was putting that cover back up and i i smile 
you know, I had to sell millions of them to make the money back that it cost me to get the patent. So, so quite frankly, <laughs> half the time I give them away, you know, so um, that's just one of, that's one of the products. The other, the next product that we, that we see as far as an innovation product, more, more, most of you folks are familiar with two by four guardrails that are leading edge fall protection systems. They're wasteful, they're time consuming to build the, they require skilled trades. Technically, a carpenter has to build them. Um, and we throw them away at the end of the job. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, there's got to be a better way. So we came up with a, a reusable guardrail system that follows the lean principles that um, comes in. And I'm not going to go through all the details. You guys can, I can give you the links. Um, but it comes in kits, right? Because we want people to to use it, put it back where it's places, and then reuse it over and over. So we don't have to keep killing trees and you know we, we can just continue to be very lean in our process. Our insulation is super fast. It can be used up on a roof. It can be used on a leading edge. It can be used around excavation, trenches, utilities, you name it. it it's so versatile, okay? Um, we've also made it so that you can fork it, fly it, stack it, ship it on a job site. You can ship too high when you're on a job site because job site space is very limited. When you're shipping them, you can ship double high. So there's so many, so many benefits. The one thing that we will not do, as of my 30 years experience, we will not make it powder-coated paint. And the reason is, as I've learned through my experiences, powder coat is just powder coat on the exterior. It's raw steel on the inside. So anytime you put the guardrail into the base, wherever it's at, you are going to have, it's going to be subject to moisture and it's going to possibly affect the je or jeopardize your fall protection system. So as a professional, I don't offer that. If you want that, you have to go somewhere else. I, I'm, I'm happy that I'm not going to be involved in lawsuits. I don't want someone to fall over an edge, uh, falls being the leading you know, cause of fatalities in construction at this point. Um, I, I just don't want anything about it. Um, another, another solution, and I'm gonna make sure that I get to someone that's other than uh, safety, uh, Helmers to safety, but another solution that we had is common problems out of our warning line systems. If you're on construction sites, you absolutely know this. Plastic up, upright um, warning line systems, every time you go on a roof, every time you go over by an excavation, they're tipped over. Why? Because OSHA says a 16 pound requirement that you need without pulling on one of the warning line system and it tipping over. And it's like, really, seriously, every time I go to a job, I see this. So in addition to our guardrail system, we said, hey, we're gonna make something that's actually robust construction grade. We're gonna make it so that it's, you know, it withstands 30% more of the wind load, right? Because we know what happens, right? We know if we go with minimum, people push the minimum envelope. We're gonna <laughs> go with a little bit more and we're gonna say, listen, we're gonna offer this as a part of our solution. And in addition to that, you know, we all know in our space that a warning line system and a control line system only needs a top warning line system. But best practices on the jobs that I deal with, we, we put a secondary lap link halfway through. So you could actually have a double warning line system to, to heighten the awareness and the visibility of the system that, 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 that you have on site. Um, the next system, of course, all of these products that, we, that we've rolled out in the last four years, three years, four years, have all been a direct result from a contractor or a company out on the job, a tradesperson saying, I 
can't stand this. There has to be a better solution. And honestly, all I did was listen to them. I listened to them and I said, I'm going to make something and I want you to tell me how it will not work. Okay. And so now I'm not going to say that it wasn't, wasn't cheap. It was expensive. It's very expensive. But the reality now is that we have some super cool construction grade products that are hot galvanized that aren't going to rust that help us provide a solution. And this particular solution is a barrier fence bracket and top mounted concrete barrier uh, fences that go on concrete barriers typically will break, the bolts will break and then you can't, you can't reinstall them. So I patented this little bracket that I'm gonna show you. You'll see this is, these are the, you know, the problems with the current product in the marketplace. Um, but we, looks like I don't have the bracket. Oh shoot. But what we have, if you can look at this University of Minnesota, we have a, a bracket that I patented that straddles. So if you, have, if you have stud anchors that are coming out of your concrete barrier, you just cut them off, no big deal. You just put a bracket on it and you put the fence panel on. It also adds additional security because you can't put your foot, I'll show you, you can't put your foot underneath and on top of that barrier and underneath the oh, fence panel to climb it. That's great. So, you know, we, we took, well, I'm not a fence man. Now I'm a fence manufacturer, but I was never before. But I was like, okay, what's causing people to breach the job site, right? Get in, steal stuff, uh, get hurt, go fall yeah. in the hole, you know? And so, you know, a lot of risk management went into the development of all these products. Um, we also made a, again, temporary fencing. You'd be like, why am I making this? I'm a safety company. I need to protect my job site, right? And a lot of problems that we see on the with these fencing systems is, is this. It's the wind, it's as cheap fence as you can buy. It's a whole bunch of sandbags. And let me tell you, I don't like it. I don't like, you know, trip hazards. I don't like degrading sandbags. I don't like fences falling down. I don't want the light. Not to mention all that extra time and money and effort you spend in putting it back up and fixing it every time it tips over. Exactly. Potential injuries from having to fix it. You got it, Manny. People that uh, like people like us that are on this, you know, on this call here, you know, is that we get that we get the risk, you know. So for me to upsell to you guys, I don't really need to. So, but, but it's kind of like <laughs> if I start sharing this stuff with people, they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's right! I had a hundred thousand dollar loss because you know someone tripped over the sandbag." downtown and you know what I'm saying. So you guys all get it. So I'm just gonna give you a little bit of the overview. These are construction grade products that are designed the last 15, 20 years. Again, no foothold as you see traditional fencing. Um, now I'm gonna get into somebody that's outside of Helmerson. Um, again, I wanted to take the opportunity to, to share our stuff because I think our stuff is really cool and it comes from the field and we've really done a great job and our customers love love, love, love um, our product. But this is a, a very unique product. And I know, um, I know Saki's on, I see, I see Slice. I, <laughs> I see Slice. Now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that I'm an expert in this space, but what I am an expert in, in construction safety, right? I know what the best people, best contractors are using to eliminate risk. And this is a product that is super, super cool. I am amazed by it. Um, we know how many um, people on a job site are injured or even in the manufacturing facilities that have 
you know, experience hand injuries, lacerations. And I did a little research, million hand injuries an annually as a result of using utility knives and cutting instruments. Um, these guys have something that I'm simply amazing. And the difference between what, what a traditional utility knife is using the the, the metal blade, right? That every, the sharp metal blade, all, all of us have utility knife in our, in our possession, I'm oh. sure. I mean, you know that you would not take your hand and run your utility knife across your hand, right? Well, this is the slice utility knife. Now, do I, if I could cut my, I could probably cut myself, not really interested in doing that right now. But the cool thing about what these guys and their innovation is that they have a ceramic blade. So I don't know, Saki, if you wanna give a couple seconds, cause I'm telling you, I'm, I'm okay. I always surround myself with people that are better than me. I'm not gonna say something that I, I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert in something I'm not, but I do love what they got going. And a lot of my GCs, a lot of my customers are using it. Saki? Should I jump on? Hi, yeah. sorry. You guys can hear me? Yep. Yeah. So uh, what we manufacture is this advanced ceramic cutting tools that's all actually safe to the touch and last 10 times longer compared to traditional knives. And it's non-conductive, non-sparking, chemical safe, and 3000 Fahrenheit safe, and never rust. Uh, you can use it with salt bags opening or through any chemicals. Uh, so it, it is a great technology that safe to the touch technology is not coming from the zirconium material. Uh, so all the ceramic knives are not safe, but slice, we grind the blade differently than any other traditional knives. Um, Mandy, uh, you explained a lot about the construction and the uh, self-harm and the mental illness and all these things. And I do hear those things all the time. Um, well, this is another weapon in a work site mm -hmm. yeah. next to the guns, right? Uh, it is very hard to hurt other people. And that's, that's how we manufactured. This is the only thing you don't want to cut, then <laughs> here you go. Sorry, thank you. No, I, I love it. I love it. And um, the one thing that, you know, um, Slice has been really good about is, you know, they want to get their product out um, if you want a couple samples, you know, I've, I've got um, Saki's information on my screen. I would highly recommend, uh, they, they do a great job. They'll go out to your, your, uh, your job sites, give safety talks, right? So sometimes you wanna need something new to talk about. Um, you have a safety day, you have Women in Construction Week, you have, you know, whatever coming up, right? Um, reach out to them and, 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 you know, get in front of them, let, let them get in front of your team and let them share their information. And then you guys can decide if it's the right tool for you. Right, they really work. I mean, she had given us some samples because we both spoke at, um, at the, uh, was that in, in Nashville where they were building the soccer stadium. And uh, she sent us some, some samples and, and it's just amazing. They, they work really, really well, but but it's actually would be difficult to cut yourself. And I, you know, I have one last one last product and it's, it's um, I, I, I think it's one of the coolest products ever, um, but it's, uh, it can be used personally. It's a waterproof pouch 
I don't know if you can see this because it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> um, let me just see if I can share my screen again. Blending into um, the background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me show this because let me see if I can do, go back to this. It, 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 and it when we talk about safety, um, can you see that now? Uh, let's see. It's, oh yeah. Phones, yeah. iPads and yeah. Okay. okay. So, so actually this product, I know the inventors and this product is something that is, is, is crazy needed, which is, you know, it's a waterproof pack for all of your valuables, whether it's your phone, whether it's your medication, whether it's your credit cards, think about going on a cruise. What do you do? You maybe take, you hope that the, the, the you know, the, the little Velcro is working on your pack or on your, <laughs> on your swimsuit that it stays in there, or you can take this pack and you can put this pack, there's a bunch of them. You can have a computer, iPad, you can have your iPhone. And actually with these units, you can actually use them. You can video, you can talk while it's in this waterproof pack. I, I went on a cruise last year and, I, and it has a tether strip if I want it. And I threw it in the water, right? Because I want to keep my phone. I want to keep my, my money. I want to keep my, my um, credit cards next to me. No offense that I didn't trust anybody, but I didn't. And I just tethered it to me and it's floating in the water. People are like, what is this? All of a sudden my phone rings. And I pick it up and I, I talk to it and I take a photo and it's, and so one of the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the one thing that this company did is that, that one customer had one of their little, their, their waterproof packs, they had it in the jet ski, they tipped on the jet ski, that they lost the pack at his phone, the guy's phone, wallet, all of his credentials, everything that he needed. Oh. And this is in Florida. But he was, but they found his pack 200 miles away in Sarasota, Florida. It was floating. It had moss on it and everything. And they opened it up. The phone was dead, of course, but they got the guy's wallet and they said, hey, dude, you know, I found your, I found your wallet and all your stuff. And this is amazing. Now you think about if you are out in the middle, whether this is home or work, right? Let's, let's think about this at home, right? We're out on the lake whether you're hunting, you're fishing, you're, you're kayaking, you know, you need your phone, right? Because what if something happens go, goes wrong, right? So I would highly recommend you folks take a look at this. And it, it's, it's just, again, an innovative, super cool product that'll help you with your safety, right? Your personal safety. My kids, we got them in our jet skis. My kids all got them. They, some of them like them as fashionable things and others they don't, it doesn't matter. But when they need it, they have it. So it's just another cool product. So I'm all about trying to figure out what, you know, what, what's out there for us, what will work for us, what, what can help solve, save a life maybe, right? And, um, and anyways, I'm using up all my time and I, I'm sorry, but uh, two more minutes. So I'm like, I'm gonna get off. But if anybody has any questions, um, my website, homersonsafety.com, I'm always open to help. If you know if there's something that's innovative that you think there's a problem, um, I may be you know interested an in helping you. <laughs> yeah, I may be interested in it. In, uh, in depending on how much money and all that stuff, and the, you know, I may I may be interested in inventing it. But uh, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get in front of you all. Uh, appreciate all your hard work towards construction safety and bringing everyone home at the end of the day. And um, again, glad to be a part of the group. 
Yeah, I think what I'm hearing, what I really enjoy here is that we're going back to the philosophy of engineering out the risks and the hazards. And in my opinion, that's been something that has been really lacking in health and safety for over the years. You know, I often hear people say, oh, well, you know, what PPE do we have? As opposed to how can we eliminate the actual risk? And, and that's one of the reasons I love Slice. Um, we've used that in our, in our company as well. Um, two reasons. One is because we have a lot of younger workers that, you know, they, they'll be doing whatever and they will just start playing with the X-Acto blade, you know, on their hand because they're not thinking about it. And to tell them to think about it doesn't help you, right? Because it's not <laughs> even a, they're not even thinking in the first place. And I, and I remember we got it because of exactly that is that somebody had done that. And he was, and it's like, how did you do that? And he's like, oh, um, do I have to admit what I, what I was doing? But the other thing that's important too in, in certain environments is what you were saying about being a weapon, right? In certain environments, like we're grocery retail, where um, customers, if somebody gets agitated, might pick up an X-Acto blade, right? Having those in the, in the space so that they can't do harm is life-saving as well. And so, you know, taking a step back as safety professionals and thinking exactly what are all the risks and what products or, or what way can I think of helping to eliminate them right out of the environment so that they don't even exist. Now, did people want the breakout rooms? Where are people at? That's because we're at our, the end of our time. <laughs> see you. Well, I think we've, we've heard from both. And I mean, nobody really needed to not hear from one or the other one. <laughs> but if anybody has questions for either, um, either of our guests, maybe we could use this last part of this time for that, like we would have in the breakout rooms, but then everybody can be together. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can change it up that way. Did anybody have any questions that they'd like to come on mic and ask? We scared them all away. <laughs> now they're there, they're just being quiet. <laughs> David, Mark, Edward. <laughs> Amandeep. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Here, I'll put my camera on, even though I'm not camera worthy at this moment. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. This is what I look like. Hey, everyone. Love it. Um, I don't have a question. I just have a comment to make. Um, I think this session has been brilliant. I believe this is my first one. Um, God knows I've been to a lot of presentations and uh, committees um, today. But I just like, I think it's so brilliant bringing all this experience and all this education and, and information and just having this overall knowledge share. Like, I think it's just so brilliant. It's absolutely empowering uh, to the safety community as well. I see people from like all different jurisdictions, all different backgrounds and paths. And yes, I've shamelessly uh, connected with a lot of you on LinkedIn here in the past little while, but um, keep up the great work. Like it's just absolutely heartwarming as well. So yeah, Mandy, um, it just, your um, 
presentation really resonated with me. So I'm a huge advocate for mental health. The past um, couple of years has done a number on the construction industry and um, both professionally and personally as well. I've had a couple of um, deaths within like my family and they were related directly to mental health as well. And just keep it up, keep the conversation going. Let's try and destigmatize this. Let's get that, that knowledge and the resources out there to empower everybody as well. So yeah, that was my comment. Thank you again, everyone. You're absolutely camera worthy, yes. Oh. <laughs> you should absolutely. see your profile picture, it's so cute. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> I think it, you're right. It is important to break the stigmas. And one stigma in particular is like, I remember growing up that mind your own business, you know, don't get involved. And it never felt comfortable when I heard my mother saying that all the time. I was just like, that doesn't make sense to, to me, right? We should care about other people. But I think we're now seeing it come back at us in the workplace because now people are hesitant to get involved. And so that's one thing that, like, how do we break that from like a generation that's been told repeatedly that getting involved, minding your own business is a, is a negative, bad thing? Because we do wanna create environments where people are feeling uh, safe and that they can share and not be criticized. I actually heard a speaker one time, actually at an event that Cal helped coordinate, and um, it was a, you know, apprentice worker that had struggled with addiction, had struggled with a lot of mental health issues, and he spoke to the fact that the actual person that saved his life is probably the last person that any one of us would have picked off of the job site. It was kind of a crustier, older foreman, superintendent, whatever the guy's role was, and he was like, I just... Um, I spent so many hours every week with him and, and out of all of that, I just wanted him to be proud of me. And for some reason I connected with him as, as, a, you know, a voice of reason in my life. And, um, you know, he didn't go out of his way to necessarily talk about feelings, but he did invest in me in a lot of different ways. And, and I felt seen and I felt appreciated. And, um, and I spent so much time with that one person that, um, I began to have more of a familial relationship with them in my mind. And, and he was like, so ultimately that relationship is what saved me. That, and, and that person didn't, you know, come out of the woodwork and talk about warm, fuzzy, touchy-feely stuff. It was just that person was a consistent presence in their life, giving advice, mentorship, holding him accountable, um, you know, sometimes sternly, but still that, that holding him accountable and, and pointing him on a path of like, here, here's your way out. Like, here's your pathway. I'm giving you an opportunity, get on this track and go with it. And, and he talked very openly about how that relationship, even though it wasn't about warm fuzzies, that, that relationship saved him. And it goes back to the comment about giving people what they need, tuning in. Really tuning in that, you know, how how somebody else might deal with something maybe totally different than how I tomorrow deal with it. And that's okay. 
Yeah, I think it comes comes down to emotional intelligence, which yeah. is something that we never even heard of what, until like five years ago. It's so important and it can be learned. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just being aware of being aware of somebody else and being aware of yourself. Mindfulness, that's another word that that, that has popped up in the last couple of years. And it, it just um it it's just mm. really important to to be aware of how how they see you, um, what their perception is, because it might be different than what you know how you see yourself. And, and also how maybe they see themselves, like you were saying, maybe the person that's sitting in the corner, not answering the mm -hmm. questions, you know, the one that's not involved. Emotional intelligence is, um, it's just so important. And I just, I think it's, it's great that it's finally a thing. <laughs> it really is. Right. And I know like as a moderator, when I'm looking at the screens, just like one of the things that I will do is I will even look at people's body language. Often if somebody is thinking about something or they want to share something, they'll even kind of like lean in a little bit, kind of like rock in and then maybe go back. And if you see somebody who does that a few times, I'll DM people and say, hey, you know, did you want to share something? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I was thinking this. Oh, well, please you know, come on, Mike can share. So, so even it's giving that privacy. Some people don't want to talk about things in public. And so sensing that out and, and knowing when to maybe take something offline to build that rapport and build that trust. Yeah, you just want to be super in tune to everybody around you. Does anyone else have any questions? comments or anything for for either of our guests I, I think it's been really really a wonderful session malcolm you raise your hand i'd like to thank both of the uh the panelists because they bring up some good information um you know i come for 40 years of defense and construction industry and uh our construction works within the intelligence and oil industry and so there's a stigma to uh, any mental health issues. And, and uh, just recently, within the last couple of years, uh, this has been addressed in our community. And it's still hard because a lot of our guys and gals don't want to say anything because uh, their clearance is tied you know, to that. And so we have to approach mm. tender ground when working with people, you know, so they don't, they're not fearful of losing their clearance and know that uh, we as managers are there for their benefit. Uh, I'm going to pull up uh, your catalog because I hate picking up fences that fell with a high wind. <laughs> I've had years of doing that. And I think it's awesome. And, and having dropped my uh, tablet into a, a trench that had two foot of water in it. I know exactly where you're coming from. It's really great information. And I appreciate y'all putting that out. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. Our pleasure. Emma Deep, I saw your hand go up. Did you have still a thought to share? Yeah, uh, well, different thought. Malcolm, I can totally relate to you. Um, so I come from a law enforcement background where we were taught to keep our feelings to ourselves. And I was actually one of the youngest ones. Um, 
I worked at two adult maximum security facilities for corrections. Um, so strictly with adults, um, high risk offenders. And yeah, it's very real PTSD, trauma, everything that stemmed out of that. Um, two of my brothers and one of my sister-in-laws works in law enforcement always. So always just doing the check-ins. Thank God there's the resources now. But back when, when I had started, and this was back in 2005, there was nothing there. It was just an all, old boys club. And they basically took you under their wing. And they were like, you know what? it'll get better and you'll just toughen up and it'll be okay. So, which it wasn't okay, by the way, <laughs> years of counseling and therapy, but I, we're getting there. We're getting there. Thank you for sharing. I'm on deep. I'm, 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 uh, I, I always love it when, when somebody is so transparent and that I think that, you know, other people will hear that and, and, and maybe they'll feel more comfortable sharing. You know, it's interesting. I, I was listening to a show and they were talking about unconditional love and the fact that in our culture, we really don't have unconditional love. There's always seems to be conditions <laughs> and, and that even seems to flow into the workplace. And so is that something to also look at trying to break? What are people's thoughts? <clears throat> I think that that goes to the psychological safety. It may not be love, but it's psychological safety when you're making space for people, regardless of what their background or their experience is, regardless of you know, how off the wall they might be or whatever, you're still making space for them. And, and making space for their ideas and their creativity to flow so that then you actually get them to, to share. Off the wall, people can have great ideas. <laughs> I'm like the queen of off the wall. Exactly. <laughs> I would say with unconditional love, like uh, I always equate it to, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews. And so a lot of times, and they're under nine years old, so they'll, they'll do something and they'll, they'll be uh, like bad or naughty. And so what I do is I separate them and I learned this in a parenting journal and magazine. Again, I'm not a parent, but just to increase that, that quality time with them. Like I read parenting articles. So I always um, disassociate them as a person from the action. So I tell them, you know what? I love you. I love you unconditionally, no matter what, but I don't like what you did. And so it helps them understand. Um, and we can take that principle and maybe apply it to, to workers out in the field as well. You know, I like you as an individual and a person, but what you did wasn't safe or you knew better or you could have done it another way. So this is sort of, so, so separating the person from the, the unsafe act or the behavior. Exactly. We can mm -hmm. use that in all parts of our life. I think there's also something to um, bringing up and talking about the positives more often. I think Amadeep, you and I have discussed that too. And you, Laurel and I have discussed that, that, you know, we tend to keep focusing on the negative in our cultures, even though we talk about like, oh, we should focus on the positives. And, and I don't understand why that's such a struggle for our culture to be comfortable um, like I was looking at some stuff that I had done 
um, back at coming out of university in 1999, I was like, wow, I'm going through this. I was like, wow, I did a lot of really great stuff. Like, why do I not remember that about myself? And why do we not share these stories about these, these greatness? It's just like yeah. safety incentive programs where so many companies still reward people for not having accidents instead exactly. of rewarding people for good behaviors. Yeah. Walk around the job and start patting people on the back for the things that they're doing right and the great decisions they're making instead of rewarding them for not having an accident because yeah. you're telling them to just not tell you what's going on. Yeah, yeah. totally true. Totally. And, you know, we, in especially in the construction space, you know, we do not compliment our crews or our people or um, the, the, the craft person enough. I mean, anyone will tell you if you walk out, if you're a manager and you have, you have a team and you, you walk out and you say, oh my gosh, this is such a great idea. What a brilliant, great job. You know, your heart just lifts up, your head lifts up, your body lifts up. I mean, people you know, that study this understand the value of positive reinforcement. And, and again, with everything, especially in our construction space, everything is changing. We just, we, we just have a big wheel with a cog in it and it takes us a lot longer to turn the wheel. But the more people that pull on the wheel and try to turn it, the faster it'll go. And you know, we've got a lot of advocates out there. We've got a lot of good organizations that are out there. We still have the old, the old timers, I like to call them. But there, are, there are a lot of, I call myself an old timer now, but you know, there are a lot of really, really, really good organizations that are doing a lot of good things out there. And we just don't share that information enough. I think another thing that we could do, one thing that we could also do is like, when somebody has a good idea, to, as you said, prep them up, let them know, hey, that was a really good idea. Or if you're at a meeting and somebody has a good idea and then somebody else repeats it and gets credit for it, to even give the credit back to the person who actually gave the good <laughs> idea in the first place. I know we've all been there, you know? Anybody else? I know we're running pretty late here, but I um, appreciate you staying with us. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just going to say, Manny, I, I love what you and Cal and that what you guys are doing for our industry. It's so desperately needed. And, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of work and effort in it. And I know it's a change, right? It, we're, it, change is difficult for a lot of people, but you have to stay after it. And, and I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Um, you know, I'm 100% supportive of it. And, and again, just, I appreciate everything you're doing for our industry. Thank you. Tough job. So wonder, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can end on a fun fact if we want. I lived in Seattle for five years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, wastewater, the wastewater treatment plant down in Discovery Park. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've lived on, this, I've lived on this side of the mountains for 20 years now, ever since I graduated from college, and I still can't get used to the gray winters and 
I miss my sunshine. So yeah, I know all and, about the gray winter. So and rainy. <laughs> yep. Someday you can I have it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you all so much. Um, sounds like you guys all have our contact information. So please feel free to reach out and we'll let you probably all get to your evenings. I know I have four kids at home that are probably asking their dad about now what dinner is going to be. And um, so that'll be fun for me. They already, <laughs> had mac, they already had mac and cheese. What are you talking about? Lucky <laughs> charms. You don't even have to cook it. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you everybody. Have a Thank great you. night. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Bye-bye.